0: I just want to begin this morning by reading out of Luke chapter 19 the story of Palm Sunday, the story of what happened on this day. It says this in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Let's pray one more time together. God, I just pray that as we open your word, God, that you would open our eyes and our ears to what you want us to see and what you want us to hear this morning. God, we thank you for what you did in this season, God, and what we're reminded of. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this moment, Jesus is riding into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and people, it says, are, are, are praising him. They're they're yelling his name. They're laying palm branches in the street. They're celebrating. And if you're here this morning, and, and as we sang, and as we celebrated, and as we worshiped, you, you've maybe never experienced something like that before, and you've been sitting back kind of wondering, like, what exactly is going on? Like, what is happening in this place, I'm confused, I don't know what this is, then you're really in the same place that a lot of these people who would have witnessed this moment at this time were in. Because there was this group of people who were celebrating the fact that Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem, and the Bible says in that passage that we just read, they were celebrating and praising his entrance into the city because of what they had seen, See, even to this day, the reason that we worship God, the reason that we celebrate him is because of what we've seen him do in our lives and the lives of those around us. And this moment in scripture is an extremely significant moment on the heels of another very significant moment. In fact, this particular story of Jesus riding into the city on the back of this donkey is in four different books of the Bible. It's in all four of the gospels, these accounts of Jesus's life by people who were actually following him. And what's interesting is that throughout the scriptures, a lot of times Jesus will say things twice to to kind of emphasize them. And so there are various times in scripture where Jesus will say something and then he will say it again and he will literally say... I say again, blank. Like like as though he's trying to get the point across to you. Like, I know you just heard this, but now I'm going to say it again because you obviously didn't get it. And then there are other times in Scripture where Jesus says things three times to kind of really drive things home, as though I really don't think you quite get the significance of what I'm saying, so I'm going to say this three times. And this is one of very few times in Scripture where a story is told four times. And so we understand that this moment is extremely significant to what Jesus was doing on earth in this time. But what we also know that his disciples didn't quite understand what was going on. Like even those who were following him didn't quite understand the significance of the moment. Have you ever lived through a moment, observed a moment, been present for a moment? You saw it happen right before your eyes but you didn't really understand it until after the fact. You didn't really understand it until you had some time to process it, until you had some time to understand it. When I was like 12 years old, my, my dad, from complications related to diabetes, had to have a kidney transplant, and, and he was in full kidney failure for months leading up to this operation, and, and, and he was extremely sick every single morning, like 6 a.m. most mornings. My alarm clock was the sound of my dad in the bathroom vomiting because his body was not processing the toxins it needed to process. It was not filtering the things it needed to filter. And it was this extremely desperate time where we did not know exactly what was going to happen. The next step for him at that point was that he was going to have to go on to dialysis for multiple hours every day, and and so he was put on the transplant list, and and we began to run tests of people in his family. And in that stage of life, the most um, obvious kind of person that would be a match for you would be a parent, a biological parent. And his father had already passed away, so his mother was tested, and she was not a match, and so his sister was tested and she was not a match. And these were his only biological siblings living. And so you just kind of turn to the transplant list and hope for the best. It could be months, it could be years, you never really know. And through kind of a strange set of circumstances. Uh, My mom, you know, it it was obviously related through marriage, but by biological accounts, they are strangers. They should not be a match. The odds of them being a match would be the exact same as my dad being a match with a, a complete stranger. And she had known throughout her life that she actually had a different type of blood than my dad. They did not have the same blood type. And a nurse happened to overhear that the reason she wasn't being tested was that they had a different blood type. And just by happenstance, this nurse overheard it and she said, well, actually, blood type does not matter when it comes to, this, to a kidney transplant. It's not the negative or positive. It's different ones that match up. And so you could have a different blood type and still be a match. And so my mom gets tested to, to uh, possibly be the donor for my dad. And it turns out she's a perfect match on all levels for him. And so I remember when I was 12 years old because she was a match and because he was in such a desperate place, it kind of all started really quickly where, where she was going to give him a kidney and I remember the day that it happened. I remember sitting in her room when the doctors came in and explained to her exactly what this procedure was going to be like. I remember walking down to my dad's room to kind of, you know, say good luck to him before they wheeled him back. And then I remember following my mom's gurney as they took her to the double doors where I could no longer walk. And, and I was there and I was present and I followed it and I saw it all happen. But it wasn't until years later that I realized the significance of what had happened, it wasn't until years later that I that I realized how unlikely it was that the two of them would be a match that I realized really how how nervous and afraid my parents were in that moment to both be going under the knife while they had children none of that registered with me at the time. And this is kind of the moment that the disciples are in they are witnessing this moment of Jesus coming into the city they they see it happening they're present for it they're following him through it but even in the book of John when he describes this moment he says we we did not understand these things until after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. In other words, we did not understand in this moment that we were present for, that we were celebrating, we did not understand the significance of it. And I think that when we're experiencing a moment, there are some things that kind of cause us to not quite understand the significance of them in the moment. And the first was one of the things that the disciples were experiencing, that this moment was extremely different than any moment that they had ever experienced with Jesus. And how many of you know, when when a situation is just extremely outside of your comfort zone, it's different than what you're used to, you're you're, you're often processing more that it is different than actually processing what you're walking through. And in this moment, the disciples are experiencing Jesus going public with his ministry And the reason this is so different is that for all of his ministry and all of his life up until this point, Jesus has been relatively private. Now, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, the odds are if you're living in the United States in 2022, you have heard the name Jesus, that you have some idea or some picture of who or what Jesus is in history or in your life. Because now we know of his ministry, we know of his significance in history. But what you have to understand is at this time, Jesus had not reached the significance that we know him as today. That Jesus was born a relatively unspectacular birth. That that, that not many people paid attention when Jesus was born. That, That he grew up in many ways in hiding and in seclusion. And that even when Jesus entered into his ministry at the age of 30, when he began to perform miracles and when he began to speak into people's lives many times after he did something incredible, the first thing he would say is, Don't tell anyone. That he would withdraw and he would keep it quiet because he knew that what he was doing was in direct conflict with what the religious leaders of the day were doing. But now Jesus has kind of turned that model up on its head and he's actually entering into the city of Jerusalem in a public manner. And so this is a very different situation for the disciples. But it's also a situation where there is a lot of fear involved. The disciples would have been very afraid in this moment. Because it's kind, of, it's kind of a situation where the disciples wanted Jesus to go public. They wanted people to know what they knew about Jesus. But Jesus' ministry had reached a point at this point where there were religious leaders who were so upset with the way that he, that he was presenting his ministry that they actually wanted him dead, that they actually wanted to kill him. He was not popular with religious leaders. And yet he's riding into Jerusalem in the midst of a religious festival, which means all of the religious leaders are there in Jerusalem. And so what the disciples know is that Jesus is essentially heading in to a trap. Jesus is heading into a situation where he is heading into a place where he is not wanted, he is not liked, and if anybody knows that he's coming into this moment, they are going to want to kill him. See, the crowds are attracted to Jesus's message in this moment, but the religious leaders are not happy that these crowds are attracted to his message. They are not happy that that his message is gaining momentum, that it's gaining steam, and so he's coming into this city in a moment where this religious festival is taking place. And the reason that this is significant is because as Jesus rides into this city, uh, history would tell us that there are possibly up to two million extra people in the city at this time for this religious festival. That this is one of a few feasts that everyone who is religious would have come into the city of Jerusalem for, if at all possible. So everyone is there. This city is bursting at the scenes. History, even outside of the Bible, history tells us that throughout these feasts, that the mountainsides and the countrysides were full of people camping, the streets were full of people sleeping on the streets. Because because there was not room for them, that the city would have literally been packed with religious people and religious leaders. But, but then these religious people are drawn into the streets, and when they see Jesus, when they hear Jesus' message, it puts, a stark, it puts a stark contrast between what Jesus says and what the religious leaders are saying. It, it puts this stark contrast between Jesus and religion, And the religious leaders are upset because they've learned what we know even to this day, which is that Jesus, the message and the person of Jesus, is more attractive than religion. That the message and person of Jesus is more attractive than religion. And Jesus riding into this religious festival puts those two things on display at the same time. Because see, the two messages end up being quite opposite. The message of religion is all based on outward appearance, on outward actions, and the message of Jesus is all based on inward change. It's all based on, on change of the heart. The message of religion, especially at this time, would have been all about what you can't do. And maybe that has been your relationship to what you assume the message of Jesus is, is that, is that following Jesus is all about a list of things that you can't do, a way that you can't live, things that you can't do. But Jesus came to tell you the things that you can do through him, the things that you can do through him. See, at this time, religion would have been all about constructing walls. And Jesus came to pull down walls. Like People would have literally entered into the city of Jerusalem at this time, and they would have gone to the temple in Jerusalem to make sacrifices. And depending on kind of your level of religious involvement, you could, you could go to different places within the temple. But there were actual walls that kept you out of certain places in the temple and it says that the people came into the streets to meet Jesus and what that means is that people came outside of the walls of the religious institution to meet Jesus's message in the streets and for the religious leaders of this day, this would have been dangerous and this would have been offensive because their whole, their whole religious system was built on the idea that religion was for certain people, but it was not for common people. It was not for the people who were out in the streets. It was not for the people who, who were out that people did not uh, look to, that people were not interested. That message was only for certain people, and Jesus' message drew those people into the streets. And their message of religion at the time would have been letting you know the ways that you can make your way to God. And Jesus came saying, I am your way to God. So, so you can see how this contrast would have been stark at that time. But what's interesting about this moment is that these crowds of people gather in the street. And you may have heard this before, but what they're shouting is they're shouting Hosanna, they're shouting praise to God. The word Hosanna literally means save now, save me, save now. And at this time, the Jewish people, they were, they were under the rule of the Roman Empire, and they had hoped that their Messiah would come and save them from the Roman Empire. This is what they think Jesus is coming to do. They think Jesus is coming to save them from the Roman Empire, but they quickly realize that Jesus' intention is different than their intention. That Jesus did not come to save them from their situation. Jesus came to save them from their sin. That Jesus did not come to save them from, from, from the place that they were in, but to take them into an entirely new place. And what's interesting about this is that when these people in the streets realize That their their priorities are not exactly aligned with what Jesus came to do. We find that in a week's time, they go from yelling, Hosanna, save now, to yelling, crucify him on Friday. That that when they realize that Jesus hasn't come to do exactly what they expected him to do, they are no longer interested in his message. That when they realize that Jesus did not come to do exactly what they thought he would do, they look to someone else. But the truth is, so often we look at this story and we wonder, how could people go on Sunday, how could people go from Sunday to being for Jesus to Friday being against Jesus? But the truth is, this is not a group of people that was for Jesus on Sunday and against him on Friday. This was a group of people who was never for Jesus because they never understood exactly what he came to do. They never understood exactly what it is that he was riding into Jerusalem to do. They had no interest in Jesus changing their heart. They only wanted Jesus changing their circumstance. And I wonder how often we have trusted Jesus because we expected him to change our circumstance. But when we realize that he actually wants to change us, we have turned from him. When we realize that he actually wants to do a work in us, we have turned from him. See, it's, it's interesting that on Palm Sunday, what they're saying in Hosanna, what they're saying is we trust our future to you. We trust our future to you, what you want to do. But then when that future is not what they hoped for, they no longer trust him. When that future is not what they expected, they no longer put their trust in him. And I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you trusted your future to God, and when things didn't turn out how you expected, you turned on him. You you trusted your future to God, but when you didn't understand the way it played out, you turned away from him. See, Jesus is leading his followers in a way that they did not expect They wanted power, they wanted authority, and they wanted a quick fix. And what's interesting is that Jesus was all of those things, but not in the way they expected. Not in the way they expected it to look. They expected to be liberated from political tyranny, not inner bondage. And so often, this is what we expect of Jesus. This is what we expect of him. Would you deliver me from my circumstances? Would you deliver me from the situation that I'm in when Jesus wants to begin with the inner work of your heart? Jesus wants to begin with the inner work. See, they wanted Jesus to do something that he wasn't there to do. And isn't it interesting how we always feel like our situation is the problem? We are never the problem. Our approach to our situation is never the problem. We always want to be liberated from the problem. If I had more time, I would be more patient. If I had more money, I would be more generous. If people were kind to me, I would be kind to them. But what Jesus comes to do is to do a work within so that those things come before our circumstances change. That our joy, our patience, our kindness, our generosity are not dependent on our circumstances. They're dependent on what Jesus has done for us. See, when Jesus was healing and raising people from the dead, when he was doing miraculous works, they were all in. But then something changed when he headed into Jerusalem on this day. Because they, they began to realize what following Jesus actually meant. They began to realize the way Jesus was actually going to change and that it wasn't about changing their situation. It was about living a new way of life. And it was obvious in the choices that Jesus made. And it became obvious to them that that when they made the decision to follow Christ, he was not just going to lead them where they wanted to go. And I think so often what we have to realize is that Jesus doesn't always lead us where we want to go, but he always leads us where we need to go. That Jesus knows what we need better than we could ever know what we need. But the way that Jesus is going to get us there doesn't always look the way we expected it to look. See, if Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem and liberate them from Rome, then he picked a really bad vehicle. Because he picked a donkey. And I don't know if you've ever seen a donkey. Not the most impressive animal. Not the most royal animal. In fact, at this time, kings and royalty would have ridden on a strong white horse. And Jesus chose a young donkey. And I think it's interesting because what we see in that choice is that Jesus always leads with humility. That Jesus begins with humility. And this was kind of the first sign to the followers of Jesus that something was going to be different about the way that Jesus led, that something was going to be different about the way he brought about the change he came to bring about. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but but if you ever see any business whose model is kind of multi-level marketing, one of the things that they almost always do is, is somewhere along the line, if you hit certain goals, if you hit certain uh, uh, goals or you become kind of a leader in a certain area, a lot of times you get a vehicle. Like I remember this lady in my church growing up who had a pink Cadillac. Does anybody remember the Mary Kay pink Cadillac? I don't know if they still do this, but Mary Kay used to give a pink Cadillac to like their top salespeople. And if you were a top salesperson at Mary Kay, everybody knew it because who else drives a pink Cadillac? And and all throughout these different business models, often they give someone a car. And the reason they give someone a car is because if this person can have that car, you can have that car too. If you do what they've done, if you sell what they've sold, you can have this car too. That car is a picture of what your future can be like if you do what they did. And this is the problem with Jesus choosing a donkey for his disciples. Because if their leader chooses a donkey, what does that mean for them? See, see, when they saw this in that moment, they didn't want a leader who chose a donkey because a leader who chose a donkey had implications about the choices that they would make. That they would have to make choices of humility, that they would have to make choices that seemed like less. See, but what's interesting is at this time, someone riding a donkey, if they were coming in for for negotiations or they were coming in to talk to another high-level leader, if someone came riding a horse, it meant they were ready for war. If they came riding a donkey, it meant they were ready for peace. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment is that I can bring you peace to your circumstance. I can bring you peace in your life without changing your circumstance. That you expected me to come on a horse and change your circumstance, but I'm coming on a donkey to show you that I can bring you peace even if your circumstance doesn't change. And see, I think sometimes we think that our peace is dependent on whether or not our circumstances change. Sometimes I think we think our peace is dependent on whether or not God does what we want him to do. And so God riding into Jesus, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is a reminder that we can have peace even in the midst of tumultuous circumstances, even in the midst of things we don't understand. The second way that Jesus was leading as he came into this city was he was leading with boldness. He was leading with humility, but he was also leading with boldness. In the scriptures that we read in the beginning, it says the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, they said to Jesus, you need to tell your servants to quit crying out to you. Now, this is an interesting contrast because all throughout scripture, any time where Jesus was called the Messiah, if he did a miracle or if someone called him the Messiah, Jesus would always say, don't say that. Keep that quiet. Don't talk about that. Keep that quiet. And in this moment, Jesus has switched to saying, no, listen, if they don't cry out, he says essentially creation will cry out. The rocks will cry out. There, be, there comes this point where boldness and speaking up is necessary, and that point is now. And Jesus brings in this contrast of leading in both humility and boldness. And the same is required for us today. See, I think what's interesting about Jesus going public in this moment is that he comes in with both humility and boldness. And if I'm really honest, so often today, followers of Jesus, they have the boldness without the humility. They have the sharpness without the softness. And have you ever had someone that goes public on a certain issue that you you feel like they are the worst person to be the representative of that thing? I mean, so often when I'm in big cities or even I've seen it here in Sarasota, you'll see someone holding a sign, shouting on the street corners about Jesus having come to condemn a certain group of people or this group or that group of people. And this is the boldness without the humility. This is the boldness without the the love. And Jesus comes with both the boldness and the humility. The third thing Jesus comes with is compassion, He comes with humility and he comes with boldness, but then he comes with compassion. It says in verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? It says that Jesus wept over the city, that he wept over the city. He had compassion for the city. See, see, what's interesting about this moment is Jesus knows what he's coming to Jerusalem to do. Jesus knows that he's coming to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world, for the sins of all of these religious people who are turning their backs on him. He knows that he's coming to die for those people, and yet he weeps for them. He doesn't weep for his circumstance. He doesn't weep for what he is going to have to go through. He weeps for the people saying, if only you knew that today was your day, if only you knew that what you've prayed for and what you've believed for your entire life is coming today. And I think that there may even be people in this room who you don't even realize to this day what Jesus came to do for you. You don't even realize that this is your day, that today could be your day, that what Jesus did then is done even for you today. And Jesus is weeping over the city. He has compassion for them. And this is the compassion that we need to have for our city and for the people that God has put in our lives. I mean, you cannot reach people that you do not care about. You cannot serve people that you do not care about. You cannot impact people that you do not care about. Jesus, in this moment, as both God and man, I feel like it would have been so easy to have disdain for these people, to look on these people and to think, do you even know what I'm doing for you? Do you even know what I have to do for you? And yet he looks upon them with compassion uh, something that's interesting about this particular verse is there are some really early translations of the Bible when, when it was kind of really rudimentary and it wasn't all put together the way we know it now, where, where some scholars actually removed the verse that said that Jesus wept over the city because they thought it made Jesus seem weak. And isn't it interesting how so often we, we want the God of power and we want the God of authority, but we don't want the God who weeps over the lost, We don't want the God who weeps over each and every person who does not follow him. And I think we do the same thing today where it's like we want to edit out the ideas about God that don't align with what we think he should be. We want to edit out what doesn't look how we think he should look. And yet the Bible is clear that Jesus wept over the people that he was coming to die for. And finally, Jesus led with sacrifice. He led with sacrifice. He knew what he was leading into the city to do. He knew that he was coming to die for these people. That in this moment they were celebrating him, but he knew that the celebration would not last long. He knew that the celebration would not be the end of the story, that many of them would turn on him. And yet he continued to press through to sacrifice for them. And I wonder what you and I are willing to sacrifice so that people could know Jesus. I wonder what we're willing to sacrifice to make him known. This morning, there's communion on your seat. There's a small cup with juice and a cracker in it. And if you would just go ahead and take that in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together because After Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, one of the very first things that he did was he gathered his disciples around a table for what became known as the Last Supper. And what Jesus was doing was he was telling a story about what he was about to do. He was telling a story about the sacrifice that he was about to make. And the Bible says that he took bread and he took a cup as symbols of his body and his blood. And that he described to his disciples what these things meant for him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?